0: It's Monday, April 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman.
1: Happy Monday, gents. Indeed. Spring is in the air. Spring is in the air. Pollen's in the air as well, but, you know, that's the price of uh, spring. I was always, I I guess, pollens never really bothered me. I mean, I I don't have super allergies. You're a fortunate man. Contacts or anything, so it's. Just tear up, get messy, and move on. Exactly, and
0: it only it really only lasts a few weeks. Uh, We're going to talk big oil. We're going to talk big beverage. But let's start in the world of sports because if you listened to last Wednesday's market foolery, you heard Jason Moser make his prediction for the Masters golf tournament. Jordan Spieth, Spieth won. Um, I like to think that at least one golf, of our li- golf <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as Tony Kornheiser would say, I believe you had that. Um, I like to think that at least one of our listeners uh, made a little wager and made some money off that wager. <laughs> but this is this is one of those times where this isn't just the big story in the sports world. This is uh, a story that crosses over into the world of investing because back in January, Under Armour, sports apparel company based in Baltimore signed Jordan Spieth, who is, I I hasten to point out, 21 years old. They signed him to a 10-year contract, Mm -hmm. which ensures that other than his gloves, the only logo that is going to appear on his shirt, his hat, his shoes, anything, is going to be the Under Armour logo And I know we're just in the first year of this 10 year deal, but that is looking like a wonderful payoff so far for Under Armour. He
1: was off on the right foot. And I just back to what you were saying about anyone placing wagers. I'm not sure if anyone placed any wagers, but I did get a funny tweet from Jonathan Curry at JPSC01. He said, You seem to have called the golf. I now might have to look at Twitter shares. So I'm glad (laughs) I'm adding value. I'm glad I'm adding adding value, Jonathan. I wish you had considered Twitter shares about uh, fifty percent ago or so. But but same thing with Under Armour, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Either way, I think uh, you you still have a long, long road to win there. But um, yeah, I think that was a really shrewd move by Under Armour. Not only, I mean, not only locking up Justin Speed when he first came out there, because you know, I remember watching. When he was just—he's 21 now. I remember watching when he was just 16 years old at uh, Jesuit High School in, in Dallas, Texas. He was playing i think it's in Dallas, but he's from Dallas, Texas. And he—he um, he played in the Colonial uh, Invitational PGA Golf Tournament out there at just 16. You know, as an amateur, they invited him. They knew he could play, and and you could see back then he was super talented. And so to see where he's gotten to this point isn't terribly surprising. Um, but but it was good to see that Under Armour got out there, got him got him signed initially. But then to to see that talent really and say, all right, look, we want you to be, you know, we want to be you, we want you to be part of this team for the long haul. Locking him up to a ten year deal at the beginning of this year was smart. Under Armour plays the sponsorship thing a little bit differently in that they really want their players to be just head to toe Under Armour. So if anybody watched the tournament, I'm sure they saw. Like he he is head to toe, and and if you saw his family at the end of the tournament meeting him on the 18th green, I think every single one of them had an Under Armour hat on, most of an Under Armour shirt. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was surprised that didn't see Kevin Plank come out on the on the green and, and shake his hand as well. But um, you know, I I think that this is something that will pay off for a long time to come. I think that we are seeing you know a changing of the guard in golf. We're kind of getting away from that Tiger Woods era of ultra domination. And we're gonna see a handful of these younger guys really, I think, take the center stage for a long time to come. And and Jordan is gonna be one of those players. I mean, you got Jordan Speeth, you got Dustin Johnson, Rory McElroy, Ricky Fowler. I mean, those guys are really good and they're gonna they're gonna, I think, take the stage for some time to come here and, and so, you know, with Under Armour, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all with with this effort to get into footwear, you know, they're introducing a new line of golf shoes and, and Speeth is really kind of the one out there, you know, getting getting them in the public eye. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a, a considerable bump just in the footwear segment alone um, from something like this. But but again, we go back to you know these these professional athletes that they ink. Are advertising, right? That's investment in the brand. And, and you know, Jordan Speth, they've, they've got Tom Brady under contract. I mean, Tom Brady, that's just been a phenomenal relationship. They've even got Giselle, too.
0: Well, and if you look, at, you go back to 1996, 97, whenever it was, it was one of those two years that Nike signed Tiger Woods yeah. Yeah, to the nice. first of what ended up being several deals. I don't know what Nike Golf as a division was doing in terms of revenue, but I'm quite certain that that number went up over the next <laughs> five years. And you look at Under Armour, 2013, they do about a hundred million dollars just in their golf segment, and I, I think that's a number that you definitely want to watch. I'm, I'm, I, I don't think it's uh, any big prediction to say that directionally that's going to be going up over time. But it's perfect timing
2: for them for Spieth to win. I mean, it reminded me of. Uniqlo signed Adam Scott right before the 2013 Masters, and then he went on to win that, and then the British Open the next year. And suddenly, fast retailing and Uniqlo is like this this surging apparel brand, and they're they're growing internationally. I want to be the top apparel company in the world by 2020, and it's just like the timing of this, and then Spieth winning after after signing not too long ago, while they're also just trying to grow their golf division. I think Nike has to sign somebody like a Tiger Woods to make a difference, whereas these companies just need somebody to, to win. Spieth might be the next Tiger Woods, but Nike's obviously betting on Rory McIlroy is going to be the next Tiger Woods. But they need something to move the needle um, that's consistently winning. But one or two victories right at the front for these these growing companies makes a big difference.
0: And we talk about margins in any particular business. I have to believe. Just looking at the price tag of some of these shirts, I mean, golf apparel is not cheap. Golf apparel is
1: not cheap at all. No, nope, it's not. Um, and I'm glad you brought up margins because I, you know I had done. We recently added a, a uh, small position of Under Armour to the to, to $1 million dollar portfolio, and you know that'll be something we we grow over time. But one some of the research I was doing into this is, was looking at, you know, gross margin is a very good indicator of these companies over time, how well they're able to maintain their pricing and their inventory levels. And it was just interesting to see now, I mean, obviously Nike is a much more established and an older company than Under Armour and so you know over time we may see this gross margin line for under armour take down a little bit but when you look at it going back to 2006 all the way through 2014 i mean under armour has managed their gross margin in such a way that it's kept it hovering in that 50% 48 49% range uh, consistently outperforming um, nike in that regard so yeah it is it is pricey it is more expensive and i think uh, what they've done you know they they've introduced really i think uh, new new lines, new styles of athletic apparel that really didn't exist before, and it really kind of all started with that compression gear and and you know I think that's that's important to recognize with any sporting goods market because it, and this is not you know a knock against Nike at all because I, I really do believe that you should own both of these companies. Um, but I, I I do think that you know what Under Armour has done so well is they've continued to invest in that brand and to bring new products to the market. Uh, quickly and and not be afraid to to even consider you know trying and failing so that they can iterate and make make something better, and then ultimately you know you don't look at something like this this Masters win from Jordan Spieth as being the you know the the one thing that makes the stock jump right, but you look at their overall strategy and think well footwear makes up less than fifteen percent of the business today and they they uh they they have uh the goal of, of you know bringing that up considerably uh you know to, to more than half or to to you know maybe half at some point uh women's women's apparel they feel like can be as large as the men's apparel uh division one day in international they see as becoming uh fully half of the business whereas today it's only 10%. So, you know they may they make all of their decisions kind of based on these goals that they have and they're all reasonable goals and re- reasonable strategies um and, and you know, sporting the sporting goods market is is not just fashion; it's performance. And and I think that your companies like Nike and Under Armour realize that, and that's why they continue to invest in bringing new equipment to the market and making sure that they get these these great athletes on board because that does establish a level of credibility that's hard to uh, to dethrone.
2: And they stay relevant to younger younger yeah. generations, so they're just creating lifetime customers.
0: I want to go back uh, to. The oil deal that we discussed last week, but you were not in the room when we talked about it, Taylor. And given your focus on energy, I'm I'm curious, what your take is on the Royal Dutch Shell deal, seventy billion dollars to acquire BG. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we do first, when you saw the deal, what went through your head?
2: I think it's directionally accurate focusing on LNG and, and deep water oil and gas for the long term. Um, whether or not BG is the right company, that's still up in the air in my mind. But I think directionally, that's something that Shell itself was trying to concentrate on. And I believe that that is, you know, that's the long play if you're trying to be an oil and gas uh, company the size of Shell. You need to be in LNG, you need to be in deep water, because in 10 to 15 years, that's that's where you're going to be doing most of the action. And um, Shell is now going to be the largest seller of LNG in the world.
0: The stock uh, fell about 4% or so and has sort of stayed down since mm. the deal was announced. Do you think that is a reflection of, they paid a little too much, skepticism that this deal goes through as proposed, or some combination of both, or, or something else altogether?
2: I think investors might have just gotten Completely shocked by the size of the deal. It's $70 billion. They're going to have to take on a lot of debt. Um, and sometimes I think about this looking at the geographies that BG operates in, don't really overlap too much with what Shell does. Um, you look at a lot of activity in Brazil, you look at some off East Coast Africa. Um, and so A lot of synergies there might be tough to tough to equate and and kind of drop some cost, which is what you typically look for of a deal this size. So um, I worry there, and BG has seen its asset base on the decline. They're not the cheapest producer by any frame of imagination out there. So um, that's why I worry that BG is the right company. But I think that they're headed in the right direction. I think it's just the size of the deal, the thought of all this debt that they're taking on while oil prices are still low. But that's what happens in this kind of situation. The the big fish come out and they and they have to take nibbles and obviously big bites if they want to capitalize on these cyclical downturns. Exxon has done it in the past several times. Some of those have worked out. The most recent XTO um, hasn't worked out yet. But I think you know natural gas is is a long play. And with these companies, you're not going to see a Continental Resources type of performance in a couple of years where they just. Strike it rich and their stock price shoots up. They need to play the 10 or 15, 20 year game.
0: And we've talked before about how you look at the environment in oil and gas right now, you look at the price being low, mm-hmm. and the table is absolutely set throughout 2015 for mergers and acquisitions here and there. But I'm yeah. curious with this deal, Royal Dutch Shell is now basically the same size as Chevron. Mm-hmm. So those, and they
2: have more gas reserves, which I think is an important factor.
0: And, and they're basically tied for second in terms of market cap size to ExxonMobil. When you look at this deal, do you think Chevron and ExxonMobil are more likely to make mergers and acquisitions throughout not mergers, mm-hmm. do you think they're more likely to make acquisitions, or do you think that they say, you know what, Royal Dutch Shell can do whatever they want, we're, we're focused on our own business?
2: I mean, that's as a shareholder, you hope that's what they're thinking. You you don't want them to rush out and buy it, buy somebody up just because Shell did, and I don't think that they would. I think that um, they will buy them because of the situation in the oil and gas industry, cyclical downturn. But some of these companies are still pretty highly priced. If you look at what they're priced uh, to expect oil prices to be at the moment, um, a lot of these companies are still priced where oil should be sixty or seventy dollars a barrel. It's obviously not. So Maybe they waited a little bit more, but I would be surprised if one of the two or or three biggest companies out there doesn't decide to snap something up, because you might not see this again for the next five to 10 years.
0: Let's go back to sports marketing. because Earlier today, the NBA announced that after nearly a 30-year marriage with Coca-Cola, Pepsi's brands are going to be named uh, the official foods and beverages of the NBA. USA basketball, the WNBA, the Developmental League. Um, It's a five year deal. Jason, kind of noteworthy just when you consider the run that Coca Cola has had. I mean, that's a really uh, obviously both Coke and Pepsi are looking to align themselves with the major sports franchises in the United States. This was a pretty amazing run that Coca Cola had, just if you consider in terms of the length of it, the relative success Coca Cola has had over that time, and certainly that the NBA has had. I'm wondering, though, when you saw this, did you think, what went through your head? Because I'm sure some people saw this news and thought, oh,
1: automatic win for Pepsi. I mean, I, I, th- I think that would be a reasonable first assumption. I mean, I, th- I think the interesting thing for me that, that is always. Caught my interest about the NBA. I'm not, I'm not the biggest NBA fan. I mean, I'm a bit more of a college basketball fan when it comes to basketball. But the NBA has a, a tremendous global reach. It's really, it's really fascinating to see the popularity of basketball, and I'll pinpoint the China market here particularly because I think that's really a crucial one. In China, there it's estimated 300 million basketball fans slash players. I mean, these people are mad for the game. Now, 300 million, that's basically our population. So I don't even
2: think they have an active player in the NBA and they still have that fever for it.
1: I yeah, maybe they don't. I mean, Yao Ming I guess was the the one really well known. I don't think he's playing anymore, right? Nope. So if if they do have a career active, cut
0: short by injury unfortunately.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's when you're that tall. It's got to be hard to to last too terribly long, but um, I mean, to me, I you know, this is just really, really neat because I number one, I, I mean, I've always been a Coke guy over Pepsi. The one thing I really like True about to your Pepsi, Georgia roots, you know. It. <laughs> 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 but I mean, I the one thing I, I really like about Pepsi is that catalog of food products that they have. I mean, I love the fact that they don't just re- rely on beverages, and especially in this day and age where. Uh, The the carbonated beverages are really feeling feeling the pinch over you know health concerns and people trying to be a little bit more uh, you know cognizant of what they're putting in their body. Uh, Now it's not to say that the salty snacks are any better for you, but they do taste really good and it's kind of hard to put them down. (laughs) Um, So I mean, when you have this huge portfolio of of products where you can stamp you know we're the NBA's official brand there. I mean, I think that could be really powerful in the long run, particularly when you look at a company like Pepsi that is, is really depending on growth in those emerging economies, and China being really at the forefront of that.
2: Yeah, I agree with the China. This, you think of NBA as a U.S. brand, but it's global. And the timing is pretty interesting. Five years is the same length of time that NBA just signed with Tencent. It's an online provider, internet provider in China, one of the largest there. And it's a five-year deal as well, and they're going to provide the first ever NBA league pass uh, providing fans with online access to games, uh, both on their computer and their smartphone. So, if Pepsi, I'm, I would imagine that they're going to have some advertising um, reach there because they're now the NBA's drink and food provider of choice, and this is an NBA deal. So, I imagine that now they're just going to be exposed to those three hundred million folks in China that that Jason just mentioned.
1: And it's worth noting. I mean, this you know, Pepsi, Pepsi made an acquisition a little while back of. Uh, tingyi which is china's largest soda producer and and tingyi is going to have you know the ability to to utilize this relationship as well. So I mean they they already have I think a good you know well established sort of base there in china with which they can grow um, you know their presence And you know I think that this this sponsorship I I think will will turn out to be a very lucrative one and I imagine uh you know if if it works out well i mean 5 years this could be just the beginning because we've seen through history that the nba is you know they have no problem with with setting roots uh you know with with a preferred provider
0: i think what'll be interesting to watch with coca-cola is they have a new head of sports marketing and it's a guy by the name of ivan pollard who's from the uk played soccer in college uh, Coca-Cola, I believe, has a new deal in place with Major League Soccer here yeah. in the U.S. It's like they flip flopped. Yeah. yeah, and it—I it, think it'll be interesting to see, just because I, I look at companies like that, like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and to a lesser extent, movie studios, as—and we've talked about this before—if you're heading up marketing, then. Basically, your biggest challenge is how am I going to spend these enormous piles of money? <laughs> so you've got the big bags of money, and it's just what am I going to do with all? How am I going to spend it? Where am I going to spend it? And I think that it creates an opportunity for maybe smarter marketing spends on the part of Coca-Cola. If you know, I don't know. I don't know the dollar figures involved. I have to believe for Major League Soccer, it's a lot less than whatever they were paying for imagine. the NBA. I um, but I think it'll it'll be interesting to watch um, how that. Uh, How that will
1: play out. Yeah, I think this is a greater opportunity for Pepsi. Then it is a loss for coca-cola coca-cola for for you know all of all of the headwinds the, the soda industry is facing I and mean, Coca-cola has done just a an outstanding job through the years of really grooming and growing uh, and investing in that brand so I don't you know that's not really going anywhere, but I think this is genuinely a, a bigger opportunity for a company like Pepsi
2: I, I wasn't I'm not a big NBA fan so I didn't even know Coke was the sponsor for NBA but I knew Gatorade was so right. Pepsi was already yeah. winning that battle in my mind <laughs> I, was, I don't know how Powerade didn't they didn't sign that deal. That's a good but. point.
0: Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.